Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. We're going to read a couple of various verses, 15 through 17, and then 21 and 22. Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So every year in January, when the calendar flips over to a new year, there are several chores that I am reminded I have to do. For instance, usually it's about this time of year that we take our dogs to get their annual checkup. And so when January 1st hits, it's a reminder for me that I need to go and make that appointment. It's also close to the time when I need to get my registration renewed for my car. And so usually Julianne reminds me that it's time to send that in. There are also a few plants in our front yard that if I don't trim at this time of year, they are out of control by the time the summer gets here. And so I try to remember when January hits, I need to try to get some pruning done in my front yard. But the other chore that I have started to do, and it actually turns out to be not as laborious as you might think it is, is I've started every January to clean out my cell phone. I don't know if you ever try to do this, but usually I'll flip through the pictures of the year gone by and look at all of the pictures that I've taken. Usually there are lots of duplicates, and I'll delete the ones that I don't need. I'll go through text messages that I have, text messages from some of you, text messages sometimes from advertisements, and I'll go through and delete the ones that I know I'm never going to look at ever again. I'll do the same thing with emails, even the same thing with apps on my phone, applications. I'll look at them and realize I haven't used these in forever. Better just save some space on my phone and delete those off of my phone. And I also go through my voicemails. And that's where I find little hidden gifts every single year that I have forgotten about. Because over the years, even when I have deleted voicemails, there are some voicemails that I have saved from the past that always bring a little bit of warmth to my heart. For instance, when I go through those voicemails every year, I'll forget that I have saved a voicemail from my Uncle Steve. 
It's a voicemail in wishing me a happy birthday from several years ago. I have a voicemail on my phone from uh, my former pastor, Lane Alderman, who called me one time to tell me about some Braves tickets he had gotten for me. Or I have a voicemail on my phone from my grandmother, who tells, is calling to ask me what channel the Braves are playing on that night. I listen to all these voicemails, and those voicemails are now precious to me because all of those people have passed away. And I get to hear their voice one more time. And so instead of deleting those, as you might imagine, I I saved them because I like to hear their voices, those voices from my past that mean so much to me, those voices of my past of those people that love me that I want to hear just one more time. We as Christians try every single day to listen and strain and hear the voice of God, the voice of God that may be speaking to us here and now in this world. And I dare say we as disciples wish we could hear that voice more loudly, more clearly. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be starting a new sermon series called The Voice, where we're going to be looking at passages of Scripture in the Bible where the voice of God speaks to God's people. And hopefully, by looking at those passages, we'll be able to think of ways that God's voice is speaking to us now, that God, that voice of love that we wish we could hear more often, we can hear again just by reading Scripture and studying Scripture. And today, we're starting with a passage that we always read about this time of year, the baptism of the Lord. Now, the baptism of Jesus, we talk about it quite frequently in this church. In fact, every time we have a baptism, I like to retell this story to you. It's included in all of the Gospels. It usually begins with some sort of description of John the Baptist, this fiery preacher, this voice of the one crying out in the wilderness that you need to prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist in almost all the Gospels starts out this story by telling people it's time to repent. It's time to change your life. It's time for you to do things differently. You're not living the way that God has called you to live. He speaks to powers and tells them they need to treat people differently, but he also speaks to common people and says you need to treat your neighborly differently as well. It's in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus comes up and and John and Jesus have a little protest there. John says, I'm not uh, worthy to baptize you, Jesus, but in the rest of the Gospels it's a little more succinct. Jesus comes up, he gets baptized by John, goes out to the river, you know the story. But in every single gospel, there's one thing they all have in common. The voice. This loud voice from God saying, this is my beloved son. Every single gospel contains that voice. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved child. Before Jesus goes out and does a single thing, before he preaches one sermon, before he performs one miracle, God says, this is the one that I love. And we tell that story every time we are baptized or someone's baptized in this church because in a way we feel like baptism is that same sign for each of us that God says those same words to us. You are my child. You're the one that I love. When we begin our discipleship, before we take our first steps in faith, God tells us who we are. God gives us our identity. We are God's children, and God loves us, and there's nothing we can do to change that. Before we take our first steps into faith, God tells us already 
we are loved. But oh, how quickly we start to forget that voice. That very first voice that starts us on our journey of faith, we forget it so quickly. Maybe because there are so many other voices in the world who find ways to to shout it down and to shout it out. Those of you who are in the Black Dog Sunday School class, you're about to begin a study on a book called Life of the Beloved by Henri Nouwen. And he talks about this voice, this voice that calls us all beloved. But then he tells us about all of those other voices that that shout down that very first voice. He tells a little story about how he was giving a lecture. Now one was giving a lecture at, at a church, and, and people came up to him after the lecture and said, good job, Professor Nowen, wonderful job, Dr. Nowen, thank you so much. But there was one person in particular who came up to him and said, well, you didn't really say anything I haven't heard before. Well, which voice do you think Henry Nowen remembered? It was that negative voice, that negative voice that reminded him, well, maybe I'm losing it. Maybe I'm not quite as good as I used to be. Maybe I need to work harder on this lecture and change it and and prove myself so that the people that hear me next time will hear something new, something innovative, that maybe something valuable. But then he realized that there were all kinds of voices like that, shouting down that original voice, that most important voice, that first voice of God calling us beloved telling us that our identity is found not in God, but in other ways. That we are maybe our work that we do, and our value and our worth is based on how hard we work or how much work we do or how much money we we earn when we work. Or maybe our value, our worth is based on what other people say about us, he says. And so when people say that we're doing well and people praise us, we feel good about ourselves. We feel valuable. We feel worthy. And when people say bad things about us, well, we feel pretty bad about ourselves. Or maybe our worth is based on what we have, what we have in our hands every single day. And if we have more than other people, then we're worth more than other people. Now one tends to believe that all these other voices are are constantly speaking to us, shouting to us, telling us that we have to earn our worth, that we have to prove our value, that we have to prove our identity to the world. And he reminds us, once again, that the very first voice, the most important voice, the voice that spoke to us before we became disciples said, you're beloved, and there's nothing you can do to change that. You're my child, you're the one I love, and you always will be. That's what grace is all about, but grace is very hard for us to accept because grace is not something that we earn. Grace is not something we have any control over. It's just a gift that we can accept or not accept. The great theologian Paul Tillich said it this way. He said, grace is the hardest voice for us to hear and believe because we don't do anything to capture it or deserve it. And because we want to be so in control of our own lives that we don't believe it. It strikes us when year after year the longed-for perfection of life does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades. Sometimes it's in that moment a wave of light breaks into our darkness and it's as though this voice is saying to us, you are accepted. You are accepted by that which is greater than you. So do not seek for anything, do not perform anything, do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. 
That's hard for us to do, but that's what that first voice tells us, that before you take your first steps into faith, you are accepted, you are beloved. You don't have to do anything to prove your worth or your value. But here's the catch. Just because we have nothing to prove doesn't mean we have nothing to do. Just because we have nothing to prove, just because we don't have to prove our worth, we don't have to prove our value, we don't have to prove that we are loved, it doesn't mean we don't have something to do. What it means is what motivates us as disciples is different. We don't live as disciples trying to prove to others how valuable we are, how important we are, how lovable we are. We are motivated as disciples to share that love with others. That's why when you are baptized, when you hear those words of God, you are beloved, people should be able to tell by the way you live your life. There's a great little story by a Presbyterian minister, Sarah Jo Sarshit, and she tells this story. She, as I said, was a Presbyterian minister who knew the book of order, knew all about the, the sacraments, knew all about the baptism sacrament. And one day, a young man, 10-year-old Christopher, came into her office, kind of full of himself, like some 10-year-olds tend to be, walked in and said, you know what, I think it's time I'm baptized, Pastor. And the pastor said, well... Is this just because all of your friends are getting baptized? You know, you don't have to do that. That's not what the book of order says. And he says, no, 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 I really believe it. I believe I belong to God. And she said, oh, well, that sounds good to me. She said, let's get your parents in here and we'll plan a time for you to be baptized in a worship service according to decency and order, the way we Presbyterians like to do things. Christopher asked a great question. He said, why can't I just go out to the river with my cousin, just me and my friends, me and my cousin, and go out and be baptized? After all, that's the way Jesus was baptized, right? Well, Sarah pulls the book of order off of her bookshelf and says, this is a teachable moment. I can share something with Christopher about what it means to be baptized. She said, Christopher, if you go out there all by yourself into the river and you're baptized without the church watching it, how will people know that you've been baptized? Christopher stunned her with his answer. He said, won't they be able to see how I live differently? Won't they be able to see how I live differently once I'm baptized? They'll be able to tell not because they see the water on my head. They'll be able to tell by the way I treat other people. We should treat other people differently when we know that we are beloved. We should treat our friends differently when we know we are beloved. We should treat our enemies differently when we know we are beloved. Because each and every day we are not trying to prove to them that we are worthy of love. We are trying to prove to them that God already loves them. By the way we live, by the way we move, by the way we speak, by the way we spend our time and our energy and yes, our money, by the way we spend all of those things. We're trying to remind people of that very first voice. That very first voice that says, you are my child. You're the one I love. If only we could remember that voice every single day. One of my favorite stories about Martin Luther, the great reformer. You remember Martin Luther, he was kind of a fiery person himself, kind of like John the Baptist. He's the one that nailed all those theses on the doors of the German church, telling them all the things they needed to do differently, telling them all the ways they needed to repent. But 
What people don't realize is that Martin Luther often turned that same introspection on himself, that he was hard on himself a lot. He wallowed a lot of times in his own sinfulness, in his own ways that he fell short of what God called him to do. But every single morning, he had this ritual when he woke up. Before he started his day, when he turned out of bed and put his feet on the ground, he would reach his hand up to the top of his head and say, Baptized baptized. Before he started his day, he reminded himself that he was beloved. And everything that took place the rest of the day was a response to the fact that he was baptized. So when he met an enemy in the street, someone who he needed to forgive, someone who he wanted to conquer more than anything else, he would remember, I'm beloved, I'm baptized, and so are you. When he saw someone in need in the street, out in the world around him, people that he would normally ignore, he would remember, I'm beloved, and so are you. When he saw a friend in need around him, someone who couldn't pay their own bills, he would remember, I'm baptized, I'm beloved, and so are you. He didn't have to prove his worth to anyone else, but his worth motivated the way he treated the world. God's voice tells us from the very beginning, you are beloved. And there's nothing you can do to change that. But here's the thing. That sure can change you. It sure can change you if you remember that voice and hear that voice in your ear every single day. And in fact, if that voice can change you, that voice can change the world. To the glory of God. Amen.